From the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to Washington Watch. Coming up. It means that we have members of Congress who want to bring guns on the floor and have threatened uh, violence on other members of Congress. That was House Speaker Nancy Pelosi last week responding to questions regarding her call for greater security measures around the U.S. Capitol, saying we have enemies within. Now, that doesn't sound like unifying language. Also, the continued presence of armed military and personnel combined with prospects of a permanent 10-foot fence around the U.S. Capitol building is drawing criticism, as it should. We'll talk about it with Senator Roy Blunt of Missouri, who is the ranking member on the Senate Rules and Administration Committee, which has oversight of Capitol security measures. We'll also get an update from him on the latest negotiations on the Biden administration's push for nearly $2 trillion in more stimulus spending. And what's going on with GameStop and the stock market? Is this battle between amateur investors and Wall Street experts going to impact the overall market? And will it affect the economy? We'll answer those questions and more when Dan Celia, President and CEO of Financial Issues Stewardship Ministries, joins us later here on Washington Watch. And the social science data shows overwhelmingly that overall children in married intact homes are better off by almost every social, economic, and academic indicator. So why would public schools be engaging in activities that deconstruct marriage and family in our nation's classrooms? Joy Pullman, executive editor of The Federalist, is back with us as we peer into a classroom in Iowa. That's coming up on this edition of Washington Watch. The website, TonyPerkins.com. By the way, mark your calendars. Wednesday, February the 10th at 7.30 p.m. Eastern, we'll hold our first Pray, Vote, Stand town hall meeting at Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg. I'll be joined by Pastor Gary Hamrick and ADF President and CEO Mike Ferris at 7.30 Eastern time, February the 10th, Pray, Vote, Stand town hall meeting, The Way Forward. So check it out at uh, prayvotestand.com. Or to stay in touch with all developments, text the word STAND to 67742. Text the word STAND to 67742. All right, the leadership of the Democratic majority on Capitol Hill is getting pushback over their call for more security around the Capitol in the wake of the events of January the 6th. This includes support for a 10-foot fence around the perimeter of the Capitol. Now, but but fueling the pushback was Speaker Pelosi's comments last week that the enemy is within. Now, that certainly does not sound like unifying language. Here is a full clip of what she had to say last week. Today, when I meet with General Honore, uh, he is looking at members here, members at home, and in between. So we want to have a scientific uh approach to how uh, we protect members. I do believe, and I have said this all along, that we will probably need a supplemental uh, for uh, more security for members when the enemy is within the House of Representatives, uh, a, a threat that members are concerned about in addition to what is happening outside. Joining me now to talk about this and the latest on negotiations over a stimulus bill is U.S. Senator Roy Blunt of Missouri. He also serves on the Senate Select Committee on Intelligence. Senator Blunt, welcome back to the program. Uh, Tony, great to be with you. 
All right. Uh, Americans are concerned about, and I know members are as well, about the, the prospects of a 10-foot permanent fence around the United States Capitol. I mean, that just, it, it, it reminds me of something I would see in a third world country, not something here in the United States of America. Well, I think that optics do matter. I think how people approach the building matters, how they look at the building matters. This is the truly the citadel of democracy as uh, a symbol to the, the whole world. And, and I, I do think we want to be very thoughtful here that we don't overreact. You know, so often in Washington, uh, something goes up temporarily uh, and it stays up. Uh, when, when President Clinton was president, the Oklahoma City bombing, they decided to temporarily close Pennsylvania Avenue between the White House and Lafayette Park never reopened. Uh, and we don't want to see that happen again, I don't think. And, you know, 20 years ago, uh, when I was the chief, about to become the chief deputy whip, two of our Capitol policemen were killed right inside the building. And I don't recall in that debate about moving forward with the visitor center and other things that there was ever any consideration uh, that the capital of the United States would be closed or in any way become a Fortress. I think of all the capitals in the world, our capitals, the Capitol building itself has always been the most open, the most accessible. You see in traditional times thousands of people walking through the Capitol a week and talking about the great history that's occurred there. At the same time, understanding that the work of the current government goes on in exactly that same place and they become part of that. So I think we want to be very careful that we don't allow that uh, that uh, really petitioning the capital away from the people. Uh, at the same time, we want to be sure that people that are at the capital, both working and visiting, have all the freedom that they can have and at the same time have all the security they need. And I think we can find that balance. Well, it's becoming more difficult, and it is a sad commentary on society as a whole that we have to take these uh, extreme security measures. And I've been very clear about this. I know you have, most conservatives have, that what happened on January the 6th uh, at the Capitol was despicable. It is not reflective of what uh, conservatives see as the way forward or how we should respond to uh, lawlessness or irregularities in our election. We never uh, can uphold the law by lawless activities. But that said, you know, it appears to me that what the Democratic majority is doing is seizing upon this to try to push extreme measures that would separate the people from their government. And in a case in point, Senator Blunt, going back June of last year, Remember when the Trump administration erected a fence, a temporary fence around the White House because of the rioting that was taking place in Washington, D.C. And you'll recall what happened after the president did an acceptance speech at the White House uh, for his nomination. There was rioting outside and, and people were attacked, including one of your colleagues, Rand Paul. Um, I never heard support at all for the fence there. In fact, the media was criticizing, Democrats were criticizing the fence that the president put up. Well, that, that's that's true, and, and some of that is just pure politics. Some of it, I think, frankly, is trying to take advantage of the moment here and suggest 
that that the radicals in America are all somehow on the right end of the spectrum, and you don't hear any discussion of the weeks and months of uh, buildings, federal buildings being attacked and police being attacked in Seattle and in Portland. And I'm opposed to that, just right. as I'm opposed to what happened uh, in Washington on January the 6th. I, I will say that what happened in our capital uh, on January the 6th really defied, I think, uh, the imagination of both the country and even our own Capitol Police Force, who uh, in all likelihood, they, they were going to be managing confrontation between the president's supporters and the president's opponents, and instead saw that crowd uh, coming toward the Capitol. We'll find out more about that later, but the way to stop that, I- I'm convinced, is not uh, to build a barrier, uh, but to, uh, in fact, continue to have the building as open as it can be uh, and uh, a-, a place where uh, the school children come and where visitors come from other countries uh, and they get a sense that this is a this is a the capital of a free country where people freely associate with each other. And I think you can find that balance between that and people running wild through the halls of the Capitol or the Senate and House office buildings or anywhere else. That is not acceptable. It's frankly the idea that somehow you dismiss this as just people who got carried away. Uh, when you're standing there for hours uh, or, or minutes, which seem like hours, in this case it was both on different sides of the Capitol, fighting physically with the Capitol Police, you know that this is not a building that you're being invited into uh, in the circumstances you're trying to get in. And we can't let that happen again. But I don't think offense or 20,000 National Guard troops is what it's going to take to stop that. We, we, we can find a better way, and uh, we will. So how do the American people that are concerned about the direction that Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer may be going on this, how, how, do, they, how do they make their views known? Well, I do think they have to, to talk to the people that work in the building and let them know that uh, they think that uh, whether they intend to visit the Capitol themselves or not, they think people should be able to do that. They think that the, uh, that the, the, the barriers that might, might appear to protect the Capitol uh, are unlikely to do that uh, if, if we don't have a security system that secures the building. You've got all kinds of ways to attack any building or people in that building that don't involve somebody physically getting in. We just have to sort of up our game everywhere in terms of, 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 um, of the uh, intelligence component of our security. Uh, but we need to be thinking, as we do before the, the inauguration, which I've chaired now twice, uh, about the vulnerabilities that you have, when in that case you've got this incredibly appealing example, but also appealing target outside on tons of plywood and lumber. You have to think about everything you can imagine uh, from the air, from any other location, and, and there's, take that into consideration, but understand that that's not worth giving the moment up for, right. uh, that the country has to stand for freedom and integrity. Uh, and when you begin to divide the debate of the country into us versus them, and not our ideas versus their ideas, but us versus them, 
I think that's uh, that's something that we we really shouldn't allow ourselves to go down that that path in America. Could not agree more. Uh, Senator Blunt, before we run out of time, the uh, the, the Biden administration pushing an almost true trillion dollar uh, stimulus bill. Now, apparently, um, about 10 Republican senators of your colleagues meeting with the, the Biden team uh, to try to find a way forward. What, what's what? Uh, give us the latest on that. Well, I think every indication uh, from the last uh, several week, days and even today from the Biden press people before uh, that meeting occurred was that the president thinks that his, his bill, if anything, isn't big enough uh, and doesn't get enough money out there uh, to uh, do what he'd like to see done by the government in the country. Uh, and there's there's clearly an easy path forward here with vaccine distribution and uh, other things uh, and looking for people and organizations that truly have been crippled, but it's not giving thousands of dollars to every American, virtually every American family uh, and uh, going in and doing things that will impact our economy in a negative way for a long time, Tony. Yeah, there is a limit to what we can, what the federal government can do. Um, one thing I think needs to happen. These governors need to let economy start rolling again with businesses opening up. Um, there are limits. Senator, as always, great to talk with you. Thanks so much for uh, for joining us today. Great to talk to you. Thanks for what you do and uh, your good advice and your good friendship. All right. Thank you, Senator Roy Blunt from uh, Missouri. Great part of the leadership team uh, there on Capitol Hill. All right. Coming up next, what's uh, what's up with GameStop? The stock buying frenzy. We talk with Dan Celia next. Don't go away. Hey, Matt. Hey, Hannah. What's going on? Why so gloomy? Well, I'm a little disappointed. I had a lot planned to do during the stay-at-home time, and I just didn't do it. Oh, yeah? What did you have planned that you didn't get to do? Well, I was actually hoping I would finally be able to get time to do a regular Bible reading routine, and I started a couple of times. I just didn't stick with it. Don't be too down on yourself. Starting a new routine can be hard, but one way to help is to join in with others and to have a good game plan. I think I have a good solution for you. Oh, yeah? Tony Perkins and FRC are doing a two-year study in the Word. They have it all mapped out. When did they start? I I would be so far behind. Oh, that's not a problem. You can literally jump in any time. There's a daily reading just a couple of chapters a day with questions to help you think about what you're reading. Nice. Where can I find this? Go to frc.org slash Bible, and you can get started. Where's that again? frc.org slash Bible. Got it. Checking it out now. In a recent poll, it was revealed that only 6% of Americans hold a biblical worldview. This research also indicated that Christianity's teachings on abortion, marriage, and homosexuality are not only misunderstood, but seen as dangerous and subversive. In response to this trend, Family Research Council has released a new set of resources in our Biblical Worldview series. In addition to our full publications, which cover the topics of Christian political engagement, abortion, religious liberty, and human sexuality, FRC now offers helpful summaries of each publication in this series, as well as accompanying prayer guides to help you and your family pray through these important issues. And finally, our popular biblical principles for political engagement is now available in Spanish. All these resources are free and available at frc.org worldview. Again, that's frc.org worldview. 
Masculinity in America has never been under attack the way it is today. We've reached the point where the term itself is considered toxic or offensive to many. The consistent message in our nation is that masculinity by nature is bad and is the root cause of many of the problems plaguing our society. From his experience as a military combat officer and ordained minister of the gospel, Lieutenant General William Boykin has seen and dealt with firsthand the breakdown of leadership in our nation and the lack of godly men living lives of biblical purpose. In his latest book, Man to Man, Rediscovering Masculinity in a Challenging World, he addresses the essential elements of manhood as a provider, an instructor, a defender, a battle buddy, and a chaplain and explains how to personally develop these traits and pass them to the next generation. Get your copy today of Man to Man, wherever books are sold. Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm Tony Perkins, your host. So good to have you with us. The website, TonyPerkins.com. To stay connected with us, text the word STAND to 67742, 67742. That way you'll be alerted to uh, events like what's happening on February the 10th, Wednesday night, 7.30 p.m., our first Pray Vote Stand town hall meeting at Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Again, uh, text the word STAND to 67742. 742. A lot of buzz going into the weekend about GameStop and its impact upon the financial markets. Now, full disclosure, I don't have any GameStop stock, never even thought about it, and would not have even known they existed had this guerrilla-type trading war not broken out. So what are we to make of all this? Joining me now to explain, Dan Celia, President and CEO of Financial Issues Stewardship Ministries, nationally syndicated radio and TV host of financial issues on over 600 stations across the nation. Dan, welcome back to the program. Thanks for having me, Tony. It's great to be here. All right, Dan, tell me, what's all this about? Well, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's a lot of trading from Robin Hood, and what happened was that we got a lot of retail, what they call retail traders, uh, or on Wall Street, they call them Robin Hood traders that have ganged up on this, ran it up, and are likely going to start retreating or maybe not. Apparently, they are turning their focus, uh, the Reddit trade, traders, are tra- uh, moving their focus to silver right now, and silver jumped up 8%. Today, some are saying Bitcoin might be the next. So the big problem was Robinhood. Robinhood did not have enough capital to cover the trade, and it was a huge problem. Now, they just raised, as of today, $2.4 billion for their brokerage app. So that's going to help them. Obviously, the $2.4 billion uh, is going to help them. But You've got to have capitalization. Remember, you place a trade. Robinhood's got to purchase the stock. They got to have the capital to do that. Number one, in the interim, before your money clears, they've got to cover it. And if you're using margin, margin is when you have, uh, I'll just say, $10,000 worth of stock. 
you can borrow on margin at, uh, you know, four or 5%. You can borrow 40% of that value. But when you go out on margin, you're borrowing that from the broker. Therefore, the broker has to have the capitalization, the cash, to be able to execute the trades. So what was happening, uh, the real frenzy was Robinhood was unable to place a lot of those trades, and it really turned into a frenzy. It normally takes three days to settle a trade. They were going out five days, then they said six days. Now they're raising more money. They put trading stops. You can only buy uh, 20 shares right now of this stock. So they will continue to try to put measures in to keep things at below a frenzy pace. But what is happening is a lot of these traders are going to likely move on to other platforms you know, a more traditional platform like a Charles Schwab or a Fidelity or one of those to do the trading so they can continue doing it. Well, Dan, let's step back from it in the underlying issue here as I, and, and this is your area of expertise, but as I understand it, there was a, a, a focus on the um, hedge funds that were doing the short uh, buying. And, and so explain to our listeners what you know, kind of the underlying issue, what was that, what, what, what's going on here? So the hedge fund uh, players buying and selling short means short means short period of time. They were doing that in big, big numbers. And there was a group that believed that, you know, they were manipulating, they were manipulating the markets uh, and, the average Joe didn't have a chance to get in on these trades. So they said, let's give them a taste of their own medicine, so to speak. And they pulled together at, through social media, and they decided to do something similar. As a matter of fact, as of Friday, some of the hedge funds lost up to 50% in the month of January, because they were playing the other side of the trade. In other words, they were betting big that the stock was going to drop like a rock and they were going to make a lot of money, and it never did. And they lost $50 billion combined. Is this something new that's emerging, kind of this populist pushback against Wall Street? And, and if so, is what kind of impact is this going to have on the markets going forward? And should the average consumer who has maybe a you know, 401k, is it going to affect them? Well, if, if the market is affected, which it will be, uh, yes, it will affect everything. You know, when the tide drops, you know, all boats are going to, go to to a certain level, that's for sure. And so it would affect the, the theory is that it's not going to last. The, what the big players on Wall Street are hoping for is that they go away because the losses, they will take some of these retail investors that really don't know why they're doing it. There's no rational reason for it. They're going to take big losses. And some believe, ah, it's a fad. 
They're going to more of them are going to lose than they are going to win, and they're going to stop doing it for fear of losing everything, or they're going to lose everything. I don't think that's going to happen, Tony. I think this is going to change uh, the way trading is done for a long period of time. And Wall Street's going to have to accept the normal, everyday retail investor. All right, Dan, so you stay with us. I, I want to finish that conversation. Also get your thoughts on the Biden administration thus far, its impact, you think, uh, on the economy going forward. Dan Celia, my guest, CEO of Financial Issues Stewardship Ministries, syndicated uh, radio and TV host. He continues uh, with us after the break. I hope you'll stick around as well. We'll, f- we'll finish our conversation. Then still to come, um, another amazing story what's happening in our classrooms you're, you're not going to want to miss this with uh, joy pullman that's coming up later on washington watch don't go away the history of religious persecution in china is extensive and many are not aware of the current oppression of religious groups taking place there China restricts religious practice and oppresses religious minorities on a sweeping scale. This religious persecution targets those of every faith. Christians, Muslims, Tibetan Buddhists, and Falun Gong practitioners are all victims of the Chinese Communist Party's efforts to suppress any set beliefs that might compete with the party's ideology. This campaign against religion has had and continues to have devastating consequences for those who simply wish to live according to their conscience. Family Research Council's recently updated publication addresses China's consistent abuses of human rights and explains why they cannot be treated like any other country. Learn more about this issue by visiting frc.org slash China. Oh, man. What's wrong? I just missed Washington Watch with Tony Perkins, and our congressman was going to be on the show today. Oh, that's not a big deal. What do you mean? Well, you can always catch the replay of the day's show. How's that? With the Stand Firm app. Yeah? Yep, you can catch that day's program and so much more. You can contact your elected officials on campaigns and policies that are important to you with the Take Action tab. You can listen to Washington Watch with Tony Perkins live and play previous episodes while conveniently going about your day. You can access the Washington Update, informative blogs, tweets, and critical campaigns on the main feed, so you can stay up to date on local and national news. Wow, I definitely use that. How do you find the app? Just visit frc.org slash app and download, or search Stand Firm in the App Store. Okay, that's Stand Firm. Yep, Stand Firm. How do you know all this? Because I'm a SageCon, but that's another story. Huh? Dan Celia, my guest. He's president and CEO of Financial Issues Stewardship Ministries. He's a nationally syndicated radio and TV host. Uh, you can find out more uh, at uh, financialissues.org or go to tonyperkins.com and follow the links over. Uh, Dan, thanks for sticking around. Uh, before we move on to sure. Biden's policies and the uh, potential impact on the American economy, so what what is still unknown in terms of what's happening with this, um, you know, the, the, the ganging up on these hedge funds and, and all this, um, you know, 
I, I don't really. I, I call it guerrilla warfare. It, just, it, it appears very interesting to see what's happening. What, what are we still waiting to find out? Well, I guess we're waiting to find out if the warfare, and a guerrilla warfare is a good term for it, Tony, um, if it's going to continue, if they're going to have any kind of staying power. So, you know, they're getting their financial advice from TikTok and Reddit and, you know, not not a very good uh, source of uh, financial news. That is that is a problem. And these social media platforms are going to continue to drive the the uh, populace that follows them. The problem is there's no rhyme or reason. Right. It's not going to end well. Uh, there's no logical reason. So I think that um, the hope is that it doesn't end well sooner rather than later, and and it stops. But, you know, the question will be for me, will somebody come in, um, some radical groups totally unrelated to the markets, will they step in and begin to fund something like this? and and uh support it and that could be an issue and a problem i don't i've not mentioned that because i don't want to give anybody any ideas but you know that certainly is in the back of the minds of wall streeters as much as they don't want to admit it so that would have a destabilizing effect upon the uh, the markets well yeah it would and it would change the way markets do business and that's the biggest problem because um the the big guys on Wall Street can't really bear to uh, see the change. Uh, it would directly impact them in their pocketbook and in their business, and that would be a huge problem. Which it goes back to what you said, that there's no logical reason for this because people engage in the stock market. Everybody can basically figure out why somebody is in there. It is, there is, it's to make a gain. But in this case, that element is missing. There, there's another factor that's driving their behavior. Yeah, that's exactly right. And, you know, they don't have the wherewithal. You know, it's hard to convince them, hey, there's no logic. Well, that's fine. I have a friend of mine on Wall Street whose son made $50,000 and went out and bought a house, you know, put it down on a house. Um, You know, it's hard to convince them that there's no logic uh, when they're day trading on something that is not even – worthy of the stock. I mean, Mm -hmm. there was so much stock out on the street that it was diluting the shares dramatically. And it was, you know, by all accounts, it should have been tanking, but still managed to go up. So uh, the, the idea and the argument that there's no logic probably won't hold any water for these guys. Well, speaking of not having logic, let's talk about the economic policies of uh, the Biden administration and uh, the impact that's going to have overall on the economy. Yeah, you know, I think it's starting to get uh, a little bit scary already very quickly. Uh, I believe that, you know, uh, Tony, I did my my thesis on my one of my master's degrees on the economics of Mussolini. Uh, That was many years ago. But, you know, things happen very fast when there's change Mm -hmm. like this. And I predicted that it would happen very, very fast. And it is happening faster than I thought it would. So 
<clears throat> excuse me, we had a good day today because Biden didn't do too too much harm. But my fear right now is if the Republicans continue to push for a smaller COVID release bill, then and demand it be funded then I think what I anticipated, new tax bills and higher taxes coming in in November, will be expedited dramatically. And um, that'll really <clears throat> set things in a tailspin. Yeah, I, just what they've done in the first week in the cancellation of the Keystone Pipeline, uh, canceling these leases on oil and gas, I mean, the, the gas, the oil and gas industry, the energy industry has been creating, I mean, thousands of jobs in the United States. It's a national security issue. We're energy independent. All of that changes overnight. It changes overnight. And the problem is, Tony, it can't. It can't. It has, but it can't. Because you can want all the battery-operated cars in the world as bad as you want them, but it is not going to happen unless it's on the back of fossil fuel. Right. And they haven't figured that out yet. So that's a problem for the economy, for sure. Yeah, we'll be like a third world country where we'll be riding bicycles. Um, exactly. Even though I like to ride a bicycle, but not to work. <laughs> Dan Celia, <laughs> great to have you with you. Great, great to have you with us on Tony, the program. Thank you. thank you, Tony. I appreciate it. All right, Dan Celia. Uh, find out more. Go to the website, TonyPerkins.com, Financial Issues Stewardship Ministries. Great guy, does great work. All right, coming up next, an Iowa school district has Black Lives Matter Week of Action. What's in that week of action? Joy Pullman joins us next. Don't go away. Get a trusted perspective on the news of the day every day. Listen to Washington Watch with Tony Perkins to get honest and in-depth commentary on what's going on in our nation's capital and around the world. Join Family Research Council President Tony Perkins live every weekday on over 800 radio stations across the country. Or listen to the show when it works for you by visiting TonyPerkins.com. On the show, you'll hear from guests like Ben Carson, Senator Josh Hawley, Representative Vicki Hartzler, Molly Hemingway, Pastor Jack Hibbs, Dana Lash, Sissy Graham Lynch, Pastor John MacArthur, Eric Metaxas, Albert Moeller, and more. Tony is joined by leading political figures, pastors, and policy and culture experts who will inspire you to be engaged and informed on the important issues facing America. For a Christian perspective on the news of the day, tune in to Washington Watch with Tony Perkins at TonyPerkins.com. Ever since the Supreme Court handed down its infamous Roe v. Wade decision in 1973 that legalized abortion nationwide, a national debate has raged over whether the government should fund abortion. In 1976, Congress banned taxpayer funding of abortion and Medicaid by passing the Hyde Amendment. Several states have followed suit, passing their own restrictions on abortion funding. However, because government funding is a complex system of joint federal and state programs, completely banning taxpayer funding for abortions and abortion businesses like Planned Parenthood is challenging. There is still much work to be done to free the American taxpayer from funding the horrific practice of abortion. Family Research Council's new publication clearly explains the Hyde Amendment 
and why we need to keep it in order to save taxpayers from being forced to fund abortion. Access this important information by visiting frc.org slash hide. What's on your daily or weekly reading list? Are you looking for honest and informative commentary from fellow believers on the current issues facing our culture? Family Research Council has just the thing. Check out FRC's blog at frcblog.com. The content on our blog is written by our policy experts as well as outside contributors. On our blog, you can read about a wide variety of topics, including religious liberty, life, marriage, family, sexuality, public policy, and the culture. Read up on some of our latest titles like Four Disturbing Trends in Religious Freedom Worldwide, Legitimizing Looting Jeopardizes Liberty for All, The Media Still Doesn't Get It, Conservatives Tend to Vote Conservative, and more. At Family Research Council, our mission is to advance faith, family, and freedom in the culture by helping you live out your faith and to stand for truth. Our blog is here to help you do that. Stay informed and get the resources you need at frcblog.com. I'm Tony Perkins, and you are listening to Washington Watch, the website, TonyPerkins.com. Again, uh, mark your calendars. Wednesday, February the 10th at 7.30 p.m. Eastern, we'll hold our first Pray, Vote, Stand town hall meeting at Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. I'll be joined by Pastor Gary Hamrick, ADF President and CEO Mike Ferris at 7.30 Eastern Time, May, uh, sorry, February the 10th, Pray, Vote, Stand town hall the way forward find out more, you can go to prayvotestand.org or text the word STAND to 67742. Text the word STAND to 67742, and we'll keep you updated on uh, what's happening. This week, the Ames, Iowa Public School District is rolling out a Black Lives Matter week of action. Well, I was going to say there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, it's Black History Month. There's certainly things to, to be learned. But... There's more to that than meets the name. Parents are pushing back, and for good reason. However, the school district is defending their actions. This is uh, Dr. Anthony Jones, Director of Equity for the Ames Community School District. As a school district, we want to create an environment where students have a sense of belonging and they feel included in every aspect uh, of our schools. So what does that belonging and inclusion look like? Well, the agenda of the Black Lives Matter Week of Action includes 13 principles or topics, and they consist of this. Restorative justice. Okay. Empathy. All right. Got it. Loving engagement. Okay. Diversity. All right. Globalism. Really? Queer affirming. Where'd that come from? Trans affirming. Collective value. Intergenerational. Black families. Black villages. Unapologetically black and black women. Well, joining me now to talk about this is Joy Pullman, executive editor of The Federalist. Joy, welcome back to the program. Hello there. Well, Joy, you've written about this uh, in The Federalist and... Um, something doesn't add up here. What is it? <laughs> well, a lot of things don't add up, 
But I actually went into and looked at some of the demographics of the town, little Iowa town, really, where this is happening. Um, and so I was, uh, you know, and, and so one of the things that I really noticed is that, uh, for one thing, there is a dramatically higher marriage rate among the children um, in these public schools in this city than there is among, um, you know, American kids in general. Um, I mean, so that's just, I guess, one of the disparities here, of course. And it's also, you know, majority, largely um, white school districts. Um, you know, there's a lot of other things going on here. But basically, this seems, I mean, it seems to really fit the template, you know, that we folks who follow this are, are familiar with of basically identity politics being basically a wealthy self-flagellation exercise um, for white people that really are not embraced to the extent um, among the minority communities that, you know, um, all these identity politics claim to be standing for and championing. It tends to be, all, you know, really an exercise in almost an alternative religion or a way of relieving guilt and making people feel good about themselves um, rather than actually addressing the real um, difficulties and challenges and concerns that Americans who aren't white um, have. Um, and and <laughs> that conversation always seems to be shuttled into the sidelines in order to focus on, you know, basically like these weird struggle sessions for elite, rich, comfortable people. Uh, Joy, I think that's a, a, a uh, if you will, a generous assessment of what they're doing. I, I think that might be uh, something even more. I, I think this may be an intentional deconstruction of the family and with it, with it, Western civilization. When you point out the demographics here, which are quite significant, because 79 percent, I'm, I'm, I'm quoting from your article, folks, you can see this at TonyPerkins.com, 79 percent of the families, the, the children come from families that are married. That is much higher mm-hmm. than the national average. And we know. Uh, joy. We know from all of the social science that if a, a child is in a, an intact married home, um, that they usually rate better on the economic, the social, and the academic um, indicators. They, they just, oh, on they every do possible measure. I mean, right. a, a married two-parent family is the gold standard for every possible outcome for a child. You know, I mean, just you name it. You know, that if, if a child has married you know, his his own parents are married and raise him, you know, for all of his childhood. He has the best setup for life that any child could possibly have. And, and so they have a higher uh, household income? Um, mm, much higher, almost twice as much. Right. So these kids are really being set out for success because they have married parents who have a higher than normal education and right. they have a, a higher medium income or average income. So... But is their parents this... are supporting an ideology that would really deconstruct and make it harder for their children to have happy lives. <laughs> than do, they and do they realize know, that? Are provided. They're basically, you know, fighting themselves and, and damaging their own children. So which, do you they know, re- obviously, I don't think they want to do that. Our parents love their kids. They think it is the right thing to do um, to, you know, basically attack all of the structures and, and ways of life that make them successful instead of, Attacking, you know, and, they, and it's, in, it's in this misguided compassion, right? Because all of us have open eyes. We are aware that many families in America, and, and it, we are aware that this is predominantly, you know, it's concentrated or increased among non-white families. You know, family breakdown. You know, um, you know, just and all the the consequences that come from it. So, people who have compassionate hearts 
don't want, you know, um, a little black child to be set up for a worse life simply because of factors he can't control. Like we all share that concern and desire, and we all should be trying to address that. That is something that our society needs to solve. But we're not going to solve that by destroying what makes families successful and society successful. We are going to help everybody lift all boats by communicating to all families, no matter what they look like, that a family, an intact family staying together, you know, for the sake of the kids, protecting the children, keeping families together as much as possible, that is how you know, families in, in devastated, impoverished situations, that's how, you know, they can get out of it. And there are many people who are tr- going to be support systems and reach out and help them get to that standard. But but if you were to interject that into the classroom today, that would be dismissed as being promoting white privilege. Well, what that really is, is honestly, it's bigotry, right? It's the assumption that because of your skin color, you're somehow unable to attain success that because of you know the way that you look you can't have um you know you can't um understand what it takes to be a secure person and what makes people happy and has made people have happy across civilizations for all of human history so i mean in in the name of anti-racism all of these honestly these programs are really promoting an a racism that really condescends and looks down to people based on their skin color and tells them and pigeonholes them again based on their skin color and says oh well you can't achieve you can't you can't have a good family you can't be set up for success in life rather than saying look this is really, you know, every, we know from human history what will make people happy and secure and able to succeed. And it starts with your family. And we, you know, and, 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 you know, look, everyone isn't given, you know, doesn't start life maybe with a good family, but there are people here who want to help you and extend their, you know, their, their stability to you and enfold you in arms of love and help you, you know, improve on the generation before you. That's the way people used to do things. And I think it's the way we really need to return to instead of this bigotry of low expectations of, of really discrimination and assuming based on skin color, negative things about people. Yeah. And again, I, 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 you know, I think the motives here for some is that by deconstructing the family and promoting it as the norm, uh, it gives more power into the hands of those that want to control society. But I want to go to those parents for just a moment, because I think you're right. I think, you know, they they almost feel guilty because they're successful. I mean, which is really Mm -hmm. strange Mm -hmm. in America that when we, 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 we make the commitment, we go to school, we pay our student loans, we pay our way through school, we get married, we stay with our spouses, we raise our kids, and they have an advantage, a natural advantage, just because we did things the way people used to do it. And, 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 and now we're made to feel guilty about that. Well, you know, I honestly, I think there would be a good way to resolve that guilt that doesn't include being a bigot. <laughs> and, for example, you know, families who are strong really should be looking for maybe I could foster a child. You know, maybe I might wait when my kids are older, but how can, you know, our church have after-school programs that I participate Absolutely. in where I am personally mentoring children? You know, rather than, you know, just spending every single cent and resource on yourself. You know, people who are strong and have money, who have stable families, should be looking to not solve the world's problems, but solve my neighbor's problems. Who is a little boy or girl in my neighborhood who is not in a good situation, who can be incorporated into our family life? Who can I take to church personally? You know, so 
you know, that, that guilt can drive good behavior. Um, but, you know, people you know, it needs to be driving effective things, ways to serve others and extend our strengths, you know, to needy people. We really need a lot of that to happen in this society. We need more of it. We have, you know, lots of hurting people. And those of us who have stronger situations, it is, I mean, I really do think we have a moral duty um, to, to reach out and offer our strengths to others and help lift them up. But, you know, that requires work. <laughs> it's easier to sit through a, a little white privilege session and then go away feeling like your sins are cleansed rather than to spend years and you know through the muck with somebody helping them with their struggles i mean ask me how i know <laughs> i have some personal experience with all of these different things um but really you know that's really what's going to transform a child's life is not someone saying pigeonholing them based on their race but saying i don't care what you look like i'm going to be here for you you know it's not your fault that your family's a mess um, how about I invite you, you know, for a warm meal and, and to see, you know, example of how a loving family life works. And I'll do that not once, not twice, but, you know, you know, I'll commit to you. That's really the way to, uh, you know, to really bless your neighbors um, and to help them personally. That is an excellent point because it goes really to the heart of what the scripture teaches in, in James chapter one. I think it's verse 27 where pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, uh, to care for the widow and orphan in their time mm-hmm. of need and to keep oneself mm-hmm. unspotted from the world. And and so Absolutely. instead, of, your, your point is so on the mark that we feel like, okay, if we just, we're going to sacrifice our kids by, by letting them go through this so that we'll be cleansed of our whiteness, when that's not what it's all about. It is about caring for those who are in need. And so instead of listening to all of that, we should just rebuff it, push it off, and look for those opportunities, as you said, which are now in abundance. And, and it doesn't matter whether they're Hispanic, Asian, uh, well, Asian families tend to t- stay together a little bit better. But it's in the white community. It's everywhere around us. You don't have to look far everywhere. to find a kid. And it's irrespective of color. Yeah, yes. you know, you're right. You don't have to look far to find a child that doesn't have a mom and a dad, or usually a dad. And and churches, as you as you said, can step in and, and fulfill this role. And I think, as you pointed out, this has become a religion for the left, in part because of the vacuum that's been created, because as Christians we have not fully lived out, um, I believe, the Christian faith as we've been instructed to through Scripture. Right. And of course, you know, as Christians, we know, you know, we start in one place and hopefully we, you know, get better every day, every month, every year. The Holy Spirit is working on us. But maybe, you know, listening to this conversation is an opportunity for any listeners to examine, you know, where where in my life can I offer tangible assistance to my neighbor? You know, how am I fulfilling my duties to my family and my neighborhood and my church? And if, you know, your family is in good shape, what's the next step outside of that that you can, you know, someone that you can bless with your, yeah. again, the strength that comes from your family? And I think in doing that, as we do that collectively, individually and collectively, I think it gives us more of the ability to push back on these initiatives from the left, which, again, I believe are intended to to deconstruct the family. And, And we can push back. We can already push back. But I think we push back with even more moral authority if we are addressing the needs even in our own community. Absolutely. And then, you know, when you know, when when. 
when we are meeting those needs, then people are not as easily available to be radicalized and have their, their pain exploited. You know, because of the other kind of end of this is that, you know, again, we've you know, been talking about this the whole time. There is real pain. There is real suffering yeah. out there. And, you know, kids yeah. are born into it yeah. and it's not their fault. And people cynically manipulate them and, you know, just yeah. use them for their political purposes rather than trying to help nourish their needs. And so we need to not be hypocrites and we need not be manipulators, but people who, again, love our neighbor and love our communities with tangible, you know, assistance that, you know, take our strength and give it to other people. And parents need to speak out and push back on this kind of nonsense that's being pushed in our classrooms. I mean, this, if, if anything, as a parent, you need to protect your child, and this is not in the best interest of uh, your children. Uh, Joy, great piece. Uh, thanks again for, uh, for staying on top of this, and, and thanks so much for joining us today here on Washington Watch. Thank you. All right, Joy Pullman, uh, I encourage you to read this piece. I think you need to know what's happening in classrooms across America, and I do believe it's intentional. But we do have a responsibility to push back on this. Parents, you need to protect your children, but I think Joy's point, our conversation is uh, is also on point, and that is that as, as believers, uh, we need to look for those opportunities because, unfortunately, the children in need are in abundance, and we need to look for those opportunities to to help to minister in fact, my wife and I were just having this conversation uh, a, a couple of weeks ago about as the scripture talks about the orphan and the widow. Um, what's our responsibility? Uh, we need to be actively asking and then responding as the Lord shows us. Thanks so much for joining us, folks, today. Until next time, I leave you with the encouraging words the Apostle Paul found in Ephesians 6, where he says, when you've done everything you can do, when you've prayed, prepared, and taken your stand, by all means, keep standing. Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is brought to you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener-supported. Portions of the show discussing candidates are brought to you by Family Research Council Action. For more information on anything you've heard today or to find out how you can partner with us in our ongoing efforts to promote faith, family, and freedom, visit TonyPerkins.com. Also, to leave a comment about Washington Watch, call our watch line at one 866 372-7234. That's 1-866-372-7234.